Welcome to the Todd C. Z-Cast, everybody. My name is Todd Zalkins, recorded live here in Long Beach, California, where we talk about a little bit of everything, a little bit of recovery, a little bit of this, that, and the other. Some things relevant and highly irrelevant. We're here to share with you what's really going on. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Z-Man podcast. I am your host, Todd Zalkins. On a, it is January 29th, right? January 29th that at about is. 6 o'clock. I always like to announce the date so people who listen to this eventually will know when we did this. I'm so excited about these two guests. For those of you who are watching, you probably know know these two fine gentlemen. I'm not going to introduce them quite yet because i got to talk about who's bringing this program alive. And uh, First off, Balboa Horizons, one of the finest treatment centers in Orange County. If you guys need some help, please hit them up at toll-free 833-NOT-ALONE. Again, toll-free 833-NOT-ALONE. Balboa Horizons, located in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach. These guys do outstanding work. I know a lot of people have gotten clean and sober there. And uh, the program is also brought to you by the Knoll Family Foundation. For those of you who can, please donate a couple. You know, I did some math on this, by the way. If we took 850,000 Sublime fans who smoke weed, they took one buck out of their day. You know, or like, you know, a third of a bong hit. We'd, be, we'd open the doors. What do you think wow. about that? I got a dollar right here. here. You, see, you there see? we go. We'll get it started. So right we only now. need eight hundred forty-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight people because we yep. got two bucks here. That's go. right. All all uh, donations, you guys, are tax deductible. We uh, we're hell bent on opening up Bradley's House, the first treatment center of its kind, which will treat musicians who suffer from substance use disorder and uh, guys uh, who have got no health insurance and very little, if any, money whatsoever to pay for their care. So check out the KnollFamilyFoundation.org. Order about 60 or 70 Bradley's House t-shirts and drive Kelly Knoll completely insane, and she will send you a Hallmark card if you, if you order more than a baker's dozen. She'll even come over and mow your lawn. Right, Kelly? Thank you for doing that. Let's see here. Oh, it's also brought to you by As High As I Am. As High As I Am is the finest surf brand in Central California. And no, this is not a bong shop. This is not a place to score zigzags. This is a place where you can go and get the finest surf wear and gear in the entire Central Coast. Go hit up my buddy Michael Lopaka Jones, a legitimate big wave surfer. One of the finest guys you're going to meet up there. He will sell you a bar of, of surf wax for 12 bucks, throw an extra one for 15 and a t-shirt for $54.50. Go see Mike Lopaka Jones as high as I am in Morro Bay. What a deal. God, now that I got that out of the way. You know, I don't even have that written down. Did I do all right? Not that bad. Awesome. Not bad. First time right. It's only the first that. takes, though. We're good. Yeah, first take. Yeah, we're going to be <laughs> editing this later. I am thrilled to have on these two, these two friends of mine, uh, some of the finest musicians that I know. And we have got Dr. Todd Foreman to my immediate left. He's looking around. And Tim Wu from both Sublime and the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thanks. That's yeah, our pleasure, absolutely. We, we, we had a gig at the gas lamp recently for, for Bradley's house, and I'm walking out with Tim Wu, and he's, he's on his way home to, you know, to shower and, and watch Netflix and, and not stay around. Kind of like Not necessarily in that order, but sure, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not in that order. I never knew that you were a pharmacist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, after, after the Dub All-Stars and everything... Uh, had a little time to myself and uh, reconfigure my life and figure out what I was going to do. And so 
instead of working at the liquor store down the street, I decided to torture myself and go back to school. Had I known that back in the day, I may have gotten very close to you by several <laughs> <Yeah>. persons. <laughs> yeah. There's I, a I, reason I didn't have your number on my phone. Yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> you blocked it. Exactly. I, I can't imagine if I knew that Tim Wu was a pharmacist, uh, the lengths that I would have gone to to, to possibly uh, be in your favor. You weren't, only only, you weren't the only number that I took out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Dr. Foreman, welcome here. Welcome. How are you doing? Good to be here. Great. Are you comfortable? Very comfortable in this fine Corinthian leather. <laughs> Did, did you hear that? Corinthian leather. Is that, will that thing fit me? Uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to find out, Todd. Okay, well, he's not going to... I, I want that I want that effing coat. Now, t- uh, Tim Wu, are you comfortable? I am. Thank you, sir. Is your coffee okay? Uh, my coffee is a bit watery, but that's probably just because it's just water in there now. So we're good. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me know if you need another cup. I'll get you one. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, start things off here. Uh, for those of you uh, uh, watching and you don't know, don't know these two fine gentlemen... These guys have been playing music for a hell of a long time. Let's talk a little bit about your musical background. I want to talk about some professional stuff and, and tie it into, uh, we always try to do our best to have a little message of recovery. And I know you guys have seen a lot out there with the opioid epidemic and stuff like that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about some music stuff. And, and we'll start with far left over here, Wu-Tang. <laughs> when did you get started playing some horns? Oh, a long time ago, back in elementary school or whatnot. So, you know, I've been playing... For a long time, for a long time. You know, funny enough story is that Todd and I actually had a lot of connections even before the band is concerned. Um, my sister went to high school with Todd. They were yeah, in the same Nancy. same graduating year, and she was a violinist. Obviously, Todd was a saxophone player and mm-hmm. uh, a budding sports athlete and everything else in between, academic mm-hmm. scholar and whatnot. And so Nancy they were, was also. She's yeah. now a physician as well. And she's really? a doctor as well, yeah. So that year came out with a lot of great minds out of there. But uh, So I've known Todd... For a long a while, a long time, you know, yeah. and it's been great. When did uh, was there a fire lit, uh, uh, Tim Wu? When you were t- when you're playing some music early on, we were you like going, you know what, I want to do this, like maybe it'll lead to something, or is this like, you know what, I'm just gonna mess around with it for a bit? You know what, I don't think I ever thought about it in the sense of this is what I'm gonna do for a living. You know, um, I think uh, a lot of that growing up in an Asian household too, that's never really the, the first thought that ever comes in. Uh, you know, into mind, uh, you know, it's always, you got to go to college, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, something like that, something sensible, you know, make sure uh, you have all your bases covered. And if you want to do music, great, you can do that on the side or whatnot. But it was never one of those things where I actively said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for a living. Um, you know, through high school, played through a bunch of different bands, uh, played in my very first band was a band called Pocketland. And uh, for those that didn't grow up at that time, in like the early 90s in Long Beach, I mean, probably some of the the best musicians at that time, we had the Owens brothers, Ike and Aaron Owens. Pocket lint rule. Yeah, so yeah. Ike, obviously from Mars Volta, Free Moral Agents, uh, um, Jack, or um, yeah, uh, Jack, Jack, Black. Jack Black Band, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Aaron obviously played with Hepcat, played with us in Dubcat as well. Uh, Mike Long from Peril Bravo was in that group. A good uh, cast of guys. Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, right. Gil Sharon also, who now plays with Marilyn Manson and, and uh, um, Todd Simon, who played with Macy Gray, a bunch of different artists and stuff, uh, wow. myself. So, I mean, we're all just a core group of, of musicians that, you know, we're just trying to find out about things and trying to have a good time. So. Pac and Lint was awesome. For those of you, <laughs> you guys never got to hear him, those guys were key. And, and uh, But uh, we had a good laugh a minute ago on Instagram. A photo appeared with, with, with Tim Wu with the Long Beach Dub All-Stars days. I swear he looks like he was about 12 years old. <laughs> and he said he was 17. But... 
You know, did you have some rather insane moments on the road with the guys back in the day? Sure, yeah, there were definitely those <laughs> at least two. moments as well. <laughs> well, you guys had two different buses. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, at one point, I think we even had three different buses, <laughs> which uh, that should show you exactly how much <laughs> was that for the nor- normal, semi normal, and the completely insane? Exactly, <laughs> pretty much. That's how it was separated. I mean, you know, we had some great times on the road, and, you know, I'm sure Todd has those stories with, you know, with Brad and Bud and Eric and all of them as well, you know, so. Uh, you know, but what it all came down to was just the music. We wanted to make sure that, you know, we put out some good quality music for the fans and had a good time with it. So. And you guys did, for sure. And I, I had the, uh, the privilege and opportunity to play a, a handful of uh, shows with you guys you on the road. And I don't think I helped very much. Yeah. But uh, uh, I should. You were never invited back. That's funny. That's what I'm going <laughs> to. I had, people don't know this, I, I had to give John Phillips like a thousand bucks to let us on the road. Right. <laughs> no, I, I'm totally kidding. But you, you, I'll he's tell not, you what. Actually, I, I, thankful. <laughs> he's what? He's not. You're he's not. not you're not kidding. Actually, I'm not. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Payola, man. You want to go on tour of the Dub All Stars? You, you had to really just sell your soul. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here, Tim. Of course. And, um, it, it's My pleasure. This is so much fun to have both you on. Dr. Foreman uh, has been a, has been a regular on the show. He's a quarterly guest. And uh, he is our you, he's our board of directors, board of faculty. He, what else do you do? Do you refer out? Or you refer in? Uh, both. You see? Yeah. If it you goes guys... both ways. <laughs> Todd, uh, Dr. Todd, uh, his practice is located down in Newport Beach. And uh, is your mom is your mom healing up from the back surgery? She is. Thanks for asking. Outstanding. She's doing, she's doing real well. Yeah, it was a very harrowing experience to have half your spine now uh, in hardware, but uh, she's. Out of rehab at home now with some 24-hour care, and uh, she's weaning off of her pain medicines as we speak. I'm glad to hear that. You know, yeah. while, while Todd's mom was in the hospital, you know, having this gnarly surgery, I come down with the freaking radical flu, and Foreman just steps outside, calls CVS, and thank you, by the way. That saved me. Yeah, no, you bet. Thank you yeah. kindly. Uh, he wouldn't give me any Oxycontin, but would, right? No. I, I can't take that anymore. No. And that's not supposed to be funny. But you told I, me not to give it to you. So. Absolutely not. And I appreciate you helping me out. Um, you know, uh, uh, Todd, you're, you played for a, a number of years back in the day with the guys in Sublime. A lot of people know that. But, but approximately, how long did you play with the guys for back in the day? Yeah, so I uh, started with them after I graduated high school. And every summer I played with them for four years uh, until... They started getting bigger and bigger, and even when I would went off to med school, they would call me up to play some shows once in a while. I played the Ice House with them, played um, uh, places around Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood with them uh, while I was in med school. They'd uh, call me into the studio when they needed a horn part. Um, had some great times doing that, and uh, was always available. Uh, whenever they wanted some horns, which was a great thing about the saxophone, isn't it? Yeah. For music, you can Absolutely. really you can go do your thing, but when they need some horns, and the, the, everybody's real welcoming. They love the sound of the horns when you're playing it right, and uh, it, it, it's 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 quite seamless to be able to come in and out of a band, especially a band as cool as Sublime or. And, and make no mistake, you know that what you guys play it adds so much to to the the rhythm of everything when you guys are doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Playing live, I mean, I, I I love hearing you guys, both of you guys play, and Thank you. You, and, and I'll start with you. But but do, do you get a kick out of playing live? Yeah, it's it's what it's all about is that transfer of energy and being able to have a shared communal experience to play at a high level with fellow musicians who really it's its own language. So if you can speak it 
and it's really quite a treat when you have a day job and you're doing other things and a lot of responsibilities to be able to still live in that world and walk in and be able to share that language with other people um, while you're sharing it with people in the audience. You know, it's 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 pure love. I think love, communication equals love. The better we communicate, the more love we feel. And music is a full expression of yourself to others. And when other people get it, and when you're sharing it with others, you're feeling as much love as possible. It's fantastic. But why is it I feel love when you guys play, but not so much when I hear Slayer? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a different kind of love. But it's still love. That's There's a love kind. in there somewhere. That's... It's just a different type of love. It's yeah, love wrapped in leather and chains. You know? right. <laughs> and Tim, how about yourself? I mean, uh, you know, taking what you got and bringing it up, bringing it up there live with the guys, you just get a kick out of it uh, uh, to this day. No, absolutely. I, I don't think I could have said it any better than Todd. And I mean, it's just that energy, you know. And uh, um, you know, for me, I think I've always kind of been more of a. a um, a quiet type. I'm, I'm not a really kind of boisterous kind of real talk, or I never really was come out know, of high school and stuff like that. So a lot of times um, the way that I wanted to speak or the way that I wanted to be came out in my music, you, does that, if that makes it, sense. It, it makes know? total so, sense. And yeah. you know this, you never talked to me back in the day at all. Well, there was a reason for that. So. It, can you, can you expand <laughs> on that? Phillips warned me about that. I wasn't allowed to until you paid the thousand bucks. So it okay. was fine. It's cool. But <laughs> swear, swear to God, I was on tour with these guys six or seven times, and Tim, who he would not even come remotely close to giving me a hug. Right. I think he just saw like this sign, like no, no. I, don't I, think just I saw don't... it quite as a hug, but yeah, okay. <laughs> not, not even a legitimate wave. Um, you guys, I want to I want to cross over to some subject matter. You know, again, guys, Tim Wu is a pharmacist, and Dr. Todd is obviously he's a family physician. And I want to. There's so much stuff I kind of want to take a dive on. I want to start with Tim. And you know, but before he got here, you know, I was asking him what's the pharmacy business like, and and uh, you know, he's you're in Harbor City, right? Yes, sir. And one of the questions that that, that I that I threw at him was, you know, when you're working back there and you see someone who's kind of why I say in it, and they're maybe not functioning all that well. And uh, it's like, how do you interpret that? And it, it, it's, it's, that, it's rather clear, right? When someone is struggling, possibly? You know, it, it can be and it, and it can't be. You know what I mean? You, um, working at the pharmacy, obviously you wanna make sure that everybody gets the help and the assistance that they need, whether it's through their medication or, or uh, um, through therapies or whatnot. So uh, there's always gonna be that really fine line as far as, you know, um, you know, should I dispense or should I not? Or is there an ulterior motive? And you really, you know, uh, being in Harbor City isn't the greatest neighborhood. You know, we do have a lot of, a lot of transients. There's a lot of gang activity in that area. So we do get a lot of, uh, um, you know, fake scripts, things like that. So we always have to be really weary about that as well, you know. So, I wanted to ask you that. Have you come across a lot of forged prescriptions? Oh God, more than I can I ever really want to admit. What you know? is your do wow. when you when that happens? Do you call the police? Yeah, I mean you have to do your due diligence, but you uh, you know again you have to make sure you go through the the, the right channels to ensure that it it is not a, a real script or if it's been altered things yeah. like that. So you know I mean there there always are the, the the signs that you can tell. I mean when you know when they're asking for an insane amount of tablets. Or, yeah. Hey. You know, hey like Jimmy, uh, there's an issue here. You're asking for. 
17,000 Oxycontin <laughs> with, with four refills. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah. I always have the refills, right? That's always the big thing as well. But, you know, now uh, with the new with new technology, we get, you know, electronic prescriptions. So that's been help, that's helped a lot. But we still do get a lot of individuals trying to call in scripts for themselves, things like that. And, so, and sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. So you really kind of have to go with your gut at that point and, and do your due, due diligence. So, you bet. And, yeah. and I know that both of you are are keenly aware of the 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 dire nature that's happening, you know, the stuff that's going on in our country today with with the level of people that are perishing as a result of the combination of whether it's fentanyl and heroin, whether it's fentanyl wrapped and, and disguised in other pills and stuff like that. And you know, by the time that we leave here after a podcast, eight to ten people will have perished, passed away from, uh, and, and they don't have to be addicted. Sometimes it's a first time user. And so, um, you know, I, I want to, uh, Dr. Todd, what is your take on, you know, I don't see this thing declining. I see it getting more intense. And are you, just give me your, give us your take on this and, and what you, what you see. Well, it's, it's such a hard problem to handle. I mean, you take, you, you, you take our, our Put all of the issues we have with local and federal governments aside and the issues with politics and dealing with the border and and how our government's functioning in general and uh, what you really have to boil it down to is that for me is that human nature is abusive to itself and to others and why do people do things that are bad for them is a very important question that we don't ask enough um, but I don't see that going away. I see that that's part of human nature. And so I feel that the best way to attack a problem like drug use and alcohol use is uh, to limit the availability however we can. Um, I, so I ascribe to, I, I'm, I'm listening to things that are like cut the head of the snake off, those kinds of things. Let's get rid of the supply chain. Uh, I would I welcome uh, efforts uh, to go into South America, look at the source of cocaine and heroin and fentanyl and oh, fentanyl China and East China, Asia. right? And all yeah, that. I mean we have to get real about where this stuff's coming from, where it's being manufactured, and those need to be destroyed. Those right. sources need to be destroyed. Number one, because if they're not, they're going to find their way here. And they're going to find their way to people's arms and people's mouths. I think that we really have to deal with the manufacturers of opiates in this country. I think we've finally kind of come to that realization uh, federally. Hopefully, we'll be making more interventions in that way. Obviously, there's things that doctors and pharmacists and, and patients themselves uh, are starting to learn and, and figure out ways to better protect themselves with well-meaning patients who don't want to get hooked but need to use things for, for pain uh, at a given time. So there are safer ways to... Uh, prescribe and safer ways to follow these things. The Cures program in California is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Used it several times today to make sure that patients weren't. Uh, See, that's good things. to know. And, and, and <laughs> Tim, and Tim know. could you please define what he just talked about the Cures? Well, so the Cures program is basically a, um, it's a state-funded, basically it's it's a check, basically is what it is for uh, individuals who have recently you know filled any kind of uh, controlled medication, whether it be a control two up to control five. So anywhere from a Norco to an Ambien, to Viagra, anything like that. And it'll basically run a check and let, especially the pharmacist know, if an individual has 
say, been filling it at a different pharmacy or even in a different city or different county. Doctor shopping. Absolutely. So the, it's, it's a great tool that before was only uh, for the pharmacist. And it wasn't until recently that it's been more, to, you know, uh, the doctors have been kind of requested to kind of run it's through been it. It's, it's, a, been, it's, it's been mandated. It's a California mandate. Exactly. We're required by law when we prescribe a controlled substance, we, we ha have to look at cures and make sure. Right. I, I could not have, you know, today I could not have gotten away with what I got away with back in the day. Hell no. <laughs> you, you, could have with, you could have with with doctors or pharmacists breaking the law. Okay. Mm. Which they were probably doing. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is this is this is for for Wu over here. Um, how much is uh, is twenty four hundred micrograms of fentanyl a day a lot? Gee, yeah. Yes. No, I'm being serious. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Absolutely. Can I ask that question? Because I was taking twenty four hundred micrograms. Oh, you know, Jesus three Todd. three eight hundred microgram, you know, eight hundred microgram suckers a day with sixteen to eighteen oxy's on top of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, that's that, a little excessive. It, it's that's a that's a little excessive. So that's not like my elbow, my back hurt. No. I really need more. No, yeah. No, yeah, but yeah. I wanted to ask that One question up, right. <laughs> about the microgram thing because fentanyl is so freaking heavy. Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a scary, scary, scary drug. You know, and uh, and the purpose of it was there. I mean, I I get the reason why we have it. Uh, you know, there are the, in, those individuals, whether they're onco patients, cancer patients, you know, they can't just bear with the pain. I had a patient who dropped from 30 feet and dislocated his wrist. And there was and that. they gave him fentanyl <laughs> to reset his wrist. Right. That, that's Would you have prescribed pain. that? If I was in the ER and, and about to, to reduce his wrist, yeah. Okay. But not but not, and not, I, not, not as a family physician in my office ever. Okay. Ever. Uh, well, uh, chronic pain patients... Um, who are end of life in severe pain? Yeah, uh, fentanyl patches I have prescribed before. I can't say. Yeah, that. so we have a lot does of like palliative care cases yeah, exactly. and stuff like that okay. where that would be necessary. Yeah. Does yeah. it does it baffle you two guys the the alarming rate for which in you know and thank God I got sober before I fell into traps like for instance people in Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia just to name a few states they're getting a hold of something. And maybe, and often not knowing really what it is, stuff that's laced with fentanyl. Whether you know what I mean? Did you hear about the um, firefighters uh, recently in Santa Barbara where they got yeah. some bad stuff and they were giving each other CPR at the at the um, reception? No, I, I did not. Yeah. So the. Yeah, that happened in Santa Barbara. So what, I mean. Uh, uh, and including fentanyl being, this is a totally bends my mind. A bunch of overdoses happened recently where it was cocaine, fentanyl right. infused yeah. with the cocaine. It's like, I don't know if these deal what their dealers are trying to accomplish here, but if you snort, you know, just a few a few grains of that stuff can kill you, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. And uh, so I don't know where any of that stuff's coming from. And, and i got to propose this to you, Todd. You're talking about you, you chop off the head of the snake, but what's the old cliche? It grows, what, another head, right? That's so the fentanyl's being made in a, in a big-time way uh, over in Asia, right? Mm -hmm. and, and black market fentanyl, mm -hmm. shipped over by the kilo. Yeah. And with an extremely high market value. And I think, I mean, you blow up that lab, and don't you think just more is made? I, I, I don't know what the answer is for any of this crap. Yeah. I guess we have to do everything in our power on mm -hmm. all fronts, both individually as uh, healthcare providers, anyone that comes into contact with that, 
on a legal basis. And then all of, all of our uh, drug enforcement agencies and everybody has to be working in concert and better communication top down. And it's got to be a concerted effort. And we, we don't have that level of concerted effort in this country. You don't see this coordinated effort to really stamp out or make a, make a dent. Yeah. You know, we're, I don't see any wins yeah, and lately. I, and I mean, I'm sure there are, but I, I don't. Yeah, and I definitely think, I mean, there's definitely a cultural and societal aspect to this that is often overseen, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Could you it, expand it, on that a little bit? Well, I bit? mean, if you really think about where a majority of these overdoses are happening in the Midwest, you know, your Tennessees, your Kentuckys, Ohio's especially, um, you know, uh, lower lower class, lower middle class, some of that areas and stuff like that, where, um, you know, a lot of these medications are just, I mean, they're easier to get than a heroin, you okay. know, than even probably weed or, or cocaine and things like that. And not only that, but you can get them from your doctor, which is even better, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then if you're on, you know, maybe even on public assistance at times, I mean, you can get those, you know, funded by the government, you know? And so it's until we can kind of change this whole cultural aspect of the, of the medication. And, I, and again, I know that it's needed and it's necessary, um, but I mean, I'll be honest, I see way too many scripts for painkillers, mm -hmm. you know, and, and these are dangerous. So you see it and that's now, that's not 10 years ago. Exa Think exactly. about what it was 10 years exactly. ago in terms of what Exactly, and that's what's scary, right? Yeah. And so that's, it, it, it's a really, uh, you know, highly prescribed medication, almost like it's, uh, it's second hand, just kind of second nature to them. Like they will automatically, oh, uh, oh, you feel pain? Oh, here we go, we'll, you know, we'll dispense that. Here's, so. here's the thing, and I'll speak from my own experience in that, when, when the brain, when systematically speaking, when I'm totally hijacked and owned by the drug, which I think is uh, a decent interpretation of addiction, it's claimed ownership of me. Yeah. Okay, and you're ta I'm taking these massive amounts of drugs and uh, I can never get enough and, and, and the, the desire or, or, or the need to always take more um, is there, okay? Because my tolerance obviously is growing right. right with that being said and 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 we're talking about 179 people dying a day what is still compelling people to take a vicodin and lacing it with fentanyl and being like my friend in laguna beach whose daughter came from the ivy league to for to a party took one pill went to a freaking coma mm. you know i mean are you seeing that a lot on your watch you know is that happening on your watch uh yeah. Because it wasn't happening. My point being, when I was in, in my disease and really sick, sure. I got to tell you guys, I wasn't hearing about these stories. Yeah. You know, of just stuff that's uh, in the back room getting whatever is happening. And um, I'm trying to get this me a message out to young people, if you will. Yeah. How dangerous. You don't have to be an addict are, yeah. to freaking have a bad night right. and not come home. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, are you guys? Uh, you know, you guys are in the field. Tell me what you guys are hearing, or is it the same thing outside of what I'm telling you or sharing with you? Well, and it's not just death; it's uh, being used for nefarious purposes. Whether you're a rapist or murderer or abductor, uh, there's a, a gentleman in my office who was telling me about his um, his boy today had quite a doozer of a senior year, and part of it was he had two friends of his that were girls that got abducted by getting uh, roofied um, and then taken up to a hotel room sure. um, their senior year and, uh, and were held against their will. Um, so you have to watch out, you know, 
for a pill for the reasons you're talking about, but also you don't know who's in that room, you know? And if there's, right. if yeah. it, that's one thing I, I impart to my boy is that, look, when you're around drugs and alcohol, you're in danger. It's a dangerous situation. And I think I've talked maybe to you about it before and definitely to you about, about when, you were, when you were in the sublime room, it did, did that feel safe? <laughs> or uh, maybe a little bit walking on the edge? Just a little, you know. And it actually different... seemed, you know, for me, it was like normal. <laughs> right, right. And, and for yeah. Yeah, like Toddy's, like uh, I've got like I, I have either patience to see or I've got books to crack. Yeah, <laughs> it just was different. Let's just say it was different. It was different. Right. But uh, you have to realize the animal or the zone you're in when you're in that situation. Sure. You have to have your guard up at all times when you're feeling that this is a, a situation where there's drugs and alcohol being used and keep your guard up. Right? Yeah, I think the more alarming aspect from my perspective is how quick that addiction can happen. You know, Indeed, and, yeah. and I don't know how many patients I've had come up and tell me, you know, I, I, I just got a script just because I went to the dentist. I had a tooth pulled. Right. You know, and it just, yeah, it happens like that in an instant. You know? I, I'm glad you That's just brought that up, uh, uh, Tim. Thanks for bringing that up because I want you guys to both comment on this. And that is when it comes to, you know, obviously pain is subjective. Okay. It's subjective. As the physician, you're going to say, you know, it, so Todd, what's bothering you today? You know, you, you maybe have some objective findings. The, the MRI shows that there's a herniated disc, but let's, let's take out the MRI that shows that, that radical objective findings. Okay. So. When it comes to treating acute pain or just pain in general, what baffles me, and I know it's getting better, but you've got the 17-year-old wrestler who tweaks his, I'm talking about a strain, I'm not talking about the ACLs blown, and they, it goes to this maximum type of prescription, fentanyl sometimes, Oxycontin for sure, why? So when you see a kid, Tim, so let me just a step further. So when a kid, or, you know, not that you may necessarily see it all the time, but like a young person, it's like it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you don't know what happened with them, but don't you ever go, why is this being filled for this? All the time. All the time. <laughs> all so the this time. is why, uh, <laughs> it, it's from a clinician perspective, and I see it all the time now, uh, and I see it both sides of the, of the pendulum, where you see clinicians don't have time. Mm -hmm. They do not take the time at all to uh, assess the patient, to understand levels of pain, to understand background and history sure. of pain medicine use, and to appropriately give someone the informed consent of what they're prescribing as a treatment. And follow up. I have surgeons, I had a family member who's also a patient of mine, uh, uh, my dad's cousin, who had surgery, who got out of rehab after ne neck surgery and was trying to get a very specific prescription which he knew how to take and knew how to do it. And he didn't get a script from the rehab, called the his, his surgeon, and there was someone covering an all-call doctor who refused to prescribe him anything because he didn't know his case. Right. But he's taking the call okay. of the surgeon who did the surgery. <laughs> so then he's calling me as a primary care doctor for help and that's not a situation that I appreciate being in right. sure right and so I see it both ways and I have how another did you react? how did you react to that so I tried to call the rehab center I'm going to call the surgeon and tell him what happened 
And I gave him a limited supply of the drug he needed okay. for that evening as okay. a bridging dose until he could reach his doctor the next week. So, and, and that's happened also with another patient of mine who fell uh, off a ladder and broke his femur. And uh, the femur never union, so he had surgery from a guy. That's a serious injury. Serious injury, sure. severe pain. Sure. And after one week, his surgeon refused to give him any pain medicines and refused to see him for it and said, go back to your primary care doctor. Yeah. So here I am in this position okay. to then give him bridging doses until I can get him to a pain specialist or monitor it and make sure that I can wean him appropriately A reasonable down. level of care. I don't feel comfortable with that. That's not a great situation because I'm not the one that performed surgery. Right. I'm not the one that should be doing that. So going back to the original issue, you, people don't have time to, again, give patients informed consent. So they either give too much and send them on their way because they don't want to get called over the weekend. Right. Or they don't give enough, and they say "f you," and so literally patients are are hung out to dry sometimes. And that's and that's kind of where we're at a crossroads too, right? Yeah. So when you're the surgeon, or it, from my perspective, we see a lot of urgent care, a lot of ER, and that's um, so visits. the patient will end up in the urgent care and, or ER, right, right? Right. And so what you have are patients that have been waiting in these waiting rooms for four, sometimes five hours, right? Not so enough doctors for the amount of patients. Right, so yeah. you're, you're, you're seeing doctors that are seeing probably 50, 60 patients a day, sometimes more right. than that, right? And so it's so much easier for, sometimes to, from my standpoint, it seems like it's so much easier for them to say, does it hurt? Okay, here, we'll give you this, right? Um, and the crossroads right now is since there's such this high stigma on the pain medications is, do I dispense, do I not? You're kind yeah. of stuck in between. A lot of times it's handed over to another doctor or go see your, uh, your primary. Right, yeah. and, and one and one way they're combating that is they're only allowing a week supply. Right, right. pharmacies will only right. give out a week supply of pain medicine. In right. you guys, between the years of like uh, two thousand two to two thousand six, I was treating with a renowned rheumatologist down at Scripps. He was a, a very fine pain doctor, and I actually just thought about it recently. This is a guy who actually probably started the the gateway to me finding recovery because of what his actions were. We talk about the cures thing. He, uh, this was well before cures, and um, he found out that I had um, been getting prescription medication from a cash and carry doctor in Santa Ana. He gave me a warning, says, Todd, you, you can't do that. And if you do that again, I won't be able to treat you. So it happened again, because I was getting 400 oxys a month, right? Now, what this guy did was he took me aside, and, I'm, and I, I needed to get my prescription from him badly because I was starting to go into terrible withdrawal. And he said, I can no longer treat you. And he says, I believe you're very sick. And he had three numbers of some rehabilitation centers down in the Del Mar and La Jolla area. He goes, you, you need to do something. And I was all resentful. I actually ended up buying b balls of tar heroin to smoke and I found morphine pills by way of other physicians, not seeing that I needed recovery. My, to, I'm being a little long-winded on this, but my point being that him cutting me off um, made, got me to a point of desperation where ultimately I did check in, okay? And fortunately, I found recovery. Have you guys had instances, start with you, Todd, where it's like, I think there needs to be a, different, a whole different look for you as far as what's going on. You, you actually need help. Is that within, isn't that within the scope of what you can do? about saving someone's life yeah. as, as opposed to continuing to prescribe. No, absolutely. That's uh, sometimes we're the last 
ditch. Can you effort. cite in a general way maybe some in, an instance for which you had to actually you intervened? Yeah, uh, several times, um, both personally with family and friends and as a physician. But um, the most recent time was a patient who was having a lots of trouble with alcohol. And that's probably what I see the most in my office um, is functional alcoholism or uh, it becomes more and more dysfunctional. Um, boy, there's, there's, there's not a lot of situations where you feel as hope, helpless, not hopeless, but as helpless as you do as a clinician when you're dealing with someone who's got an addiction in front of you because you know it's up to them or their family members or by the grace of God. And luckily this man had a very caring and understanding and loving wife who was committed to help him get sober. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for her, he'd be dead. 100%, no bones about it. And it took him about a month of seeing me every week uh, until he admitted to what he was continually doing. And it all came to fruition in this, if I told the story, it would take a half an hour, but he ended up going into rehab, escaping from rehab, walking, trying to walk back to his um, home through uh, San Clemente, through the, um, he got caught by rangers at the um, army, the naval base there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 they, and they helped him get to his destination. But that walk like changed his mind. Mm. And he went back into rehab, you know. And so he had this epic journey that I helped helped him through, and, and was the was the start of that. And it was a it was a, a great ending through the the grace of God and through his wife uh, being there for him and helping him through. I've had just as many cases where you have that talk and you have that openness and you give them all the resources that they yeah. possibly have. And you never see him again. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and that happens more than. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and and Tim, on your end, as a, as a pharmacist, have you ever had to, you know, in a in a loving and kind way, but maybe being firm too, but hey, taking a guy aside, going, this this is this doesn't look right, or or, or I can tell that this sure. situation is. Can you can you oh, share yeah, can you share this? Like, how do you handle that? Well, you know what? The, the beauty of being a, a pharmacist in the, in the community setting, the retail setting, and this is one of the reasons I think I went into pharmacy and uh, into the, the community setting itself, is that a lot of times we're kind of like that last-ditch effort, right? Um, a lot of times these patients are having a hard time getting a hold of their doctors, or they don't really have anybody they talk to, or they don't have insurance, so they can't afford to get into urgent care, they don't have the money for that. So what do they do? They come into the pharmacy. And a lot of times they really just need that voice. They need somebody to talk to, to kind of walk them through things. Uh, you know, whether it be through life or just, you know, with medical things or health-wise, things like that. But they just need that, other, that voice on the other end. And a lot of times when they call the office and they can't get in, it's frustrating. And, and I get it. I'm, I'm happy to be there for those individuals. And so, you know, I've had plenty of experiences where... Yeah, that accessibility... Is amazing that he right. has to and, be, and it's and it's free. Sphere, you know, he's seeing it all. Yeah, and it's free. You know, and um, I, I, from my st my point of view, I really wish a lot more pharmacists would take that effort because that's what we're there for, predominantly. Yeah. You know, we're there to help. I, obviously, we're there Your to resource. dispense medication, mm -hmm. but we're really just that community resource that when you can't get a hold of anybody, we, we can be there for them. You know what I mean? So, uh, thank you for that. And one of the one of the most. Um, terrifying moments that I had in my addiction was in 2006 and things were completely falling apart undoubtedly and I, I it was going to be I would I would be out of pills starting on a Friday afternoon 
I was gonna I wasn't gonna have access to them until Monday. And for anyone who knows, uh, that's uh, that's uh, about fifty hours too long. You need them in about ten minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So this is during a time, and I, I sincerely doubt this can happen, but I actually phoned in a refill, acted as though I was the physician's assistant, and let me explain. I believe it. And, and, <laughs> oh, it happened. But I gotta Not tell you, right. the walk, every step when I walked into that chain pharmacy, you're not gonna be like, good luck on finding it, but a very popular chain, every step was like, this could be it. You know, doing that is a very serious crime. Oh yeah. Yep. And I remember, and I got the refill, just absolutely shaking, and could not wait to get to the door and un- undo the Diet Coke and choose six Norcos and drive home. But uh, the shame and just the absolute uh, demoralization that I felt, and I was like, I, I can't stop. And yeah. look at what I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, and you took advantage of the fragmentation of the healthcare system that is uh, in disrepair. We have, uh, it's only getting worse and worse. Uh, one thing we're trying to do to help that is to give pharmacists a broader role to sit down and have more access to patients' records and be able to go over medication side effects, for example. Uh, that comes at a, at a need where we, have, we don't have enough primary care doctors around, and the ones that we do have don't have enough time. Uh, because of the, the pay scale model. And so we're trying desperately to figure out how do we use uh, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, PAs in the ER or the hospital to shore up the type of medical care that people need. The problem with that is it gets even more fragmented when you've got you know, right. issues with, and, you know, the whole promise of EMR, shoot, we have like a thousand different EMR systems that don't talk to each other. The only one that really works is Kaiser uh, and the VA system, right. maybe, but that, that, that took a lot of time to bring the VA system around. Um, so it's not perfect. Uh, it's not a perfect world. And, you know, if it can happen, it will happen. Yeah. You know I mean? And I think the big thing, too, right now, what's great is that the word is out. You know, this isn't yeah. this isn't that dirty the elephant secret thing. that you don't talk about anymore. That's I right. mean, everybody can see the elephant. Yeah, we know, you know the problems. I mean? That's so right. what's up? We, we know, know the, the issues. And so hopefully we're moving in that right direction. I know. Uh, you know, California Bar- uh, Board of Pharmacy and, you know, uh, pharmacists in general, we've been really looking to push, you know, um, things in the right direction as far as, uh, you know, the new scripts you guys need to have. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to have the same problems that we had of over- overprescribed. Right, right. I don't think we're going to have the same level of problems that we've had. So people just finding all t- <laughs> you know, yeah. until... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, I, I'm sure I got clean when I did, I'll tell you that. Um, let me uh, bounce this one off you guys. When it comes to the interaction of alcohol and massive doses of acetaminophen. You know, so when you're taking a large doses of Norco, like I was taking sometimes 28 to 40 Norcos a day. Mm. You throw in a half a bottle or a bottle of so Cabernet you liver or some vodka. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so I wonder why my sides hurt all the time. My doctor said, uh, you're taking a little bit too much acetaminophen. And that's no joke, right? Yeah. So isn't it, you guys, is it a common thing for there to be system failure when you know you've taken too much of these pills with the alcohol doesn't it radically attack the system when, when those two interact yeah absolutely can you comment on that well it's not just one plus one right. it's like you mix them and that goes the logarithmic to a 10 you know in terms of the the nasty effects that you have on not just your liver but your kidneys your brain and everything else i had a patient who uh, the other day he suffered a serious concussion and said he just had to stop drinking completely. Like he was only drinking a one or two drinks a week. 
but he could tell when he had the one or two drinks a week what the effect it has on his healing brain from a severe concussion. He quit for a year of drinking any alcohol. So, you know, the, um, these things that are just because you can buy them over the counter, they are yeah. really yeah. And, and nasty again, I mean, things. that's where that resource comes in with the pharmacist at yeah. the pharmacy. You know what I mean? Uh, you really have to be able to recognize that and. Um, you know, the internet has helped a little bit with that, with your WebMDs and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's always nice to have that live resource right there for you. And we're there, you know what I mean? Same with the physicians as well. Um, but, you know, when it comes to over-the-counter stuff, things like that, you have to be careful. So there's a lot of information out there and misinformation. Yeah. And even when, you're, even when you're reading the best information possible, you still don't have perspective. Right. And that's where we come in. I don't, our jobs with all, you know, <coughs> EMRs and with, uh, with um, artificial intelligence... We're always going to have a day job. It's not. I'm not worried right. about us being obsolete. Are you guys familiar with that that book called Dreamland by Sam Quinones? Heard of it? I've not read it yet. You haven't read it? No. And it, hands down, in my estimation, it, it's the most it's the most brilliant text that essentially paints how we got here. How did we get here between the heroin being run up from Mexico, between the uh, pill mills and the marketing of OxyContin? And how it just was this mishmash of just absolute insanity that's gotten us to where we are today. And I want to ask you guys this question, point blank, and I want each of you to answer. He's quoted in that book as saying, it took us about 20 years to get here. And it's probably going to take us longer to get out of it. What's your take on that? We're talking, you know, the, the rise in death rate, the rise of addiction, the, 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 the fact that so many young people are in treatment today far more than there's ever been in the history of treating uh, a substance use disorder. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when it, with any kind of addiction or any kind of disorder, but especially addiction, I mean, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation, right? It's like an octopus that's got arms that spread all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't just affect just the one individual alone. I mean, it's, you're talking families, friends, everything, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, uh, um, you know, it, and it takes a while just to, I mean, Todd, I'm sure as you know, it's, it's not something that definitely happens overnight or in a month or even in a year. And you're still in, in the process, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's the key. And I think that was one of the points that I was trying to bring up, you know, before is that it is, I mean, you know, it, uh, there is a problem within the health field, within uh, big pharma, within pharma itself, the government, the politics. But it truly is. I mean, it's a it's a societal thing, right? It has to it has to start from home. Uh, the assistance has to start there as well. If you don't have that support, I mean, that's just a dip, a bigger hole to dig yourself out of, you know. And so, um, it's it's tough, and it, it, it's definitely one of those things. It's again, like I said, it's not going to happen overnight. The recovery is is a lifelong thing, mm -hmm. you know. And you have to continually to, to want to strive to be sober. And, and to really want to help yourself, and that's that's the toughest part, you know. So, yeah, well, well said. Uh, thanks, Tim. And, and Doc, what do you think about that? About the, you know, it, we're way far out in the desert on this thing, and you know, how long is it going to take for us to get back home? And I, I'm not talking about curing addiction. I don't think that's a, 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 drug use will always be around, right? But but how do we possibly minimize the rate at which people are are are, are dying? And the recidivism rate with people trying to get you know, in and out of rehabs or just people simply overdosing? 
Well, I think it goes back to the why we play music and that feeling of love and communication and togetherness. It's it is about I'm sorry, but it's about what John Lennon said. It's about peace and love, mm-hmm. and you you have to start in the home. If you don't have open, honest communication with your kids and your spouse and your parents and your family, people are going to feel more isolated. I don't like the effects of computers and and computer games and simulations and iPhones. I think uh, you know go to any group of teenagers. You walk in the room, what are they doing? They're all not well, talking, yeah, it's complete silence, yeah. and they're all on their phones. You bet. That is a problem. Sure. That is a major problem. That's and a that societal. is a drug problem. Okay. Because what are, what are people what are people going to turn to when they feel isolated? Are they going to turn to someone else? Yeah. Or are they going to turn to a drug? Are they going to turn to something else to feel good? Yeah. Right? Um, and that's my biggest worry. Would you, would you think that spills over to guys into, um, and I've learned this over the last few years, and it speaks to me for sure, and that is having a strong sense of purpose. Yeah. A sense of purpose, which, you know, like, well, Jimmy was, for instance, a, a great water polo player who's an avid swimmer and athletic, and now he's with this group, and this is all they do. So sense of purpose is lost. Right. Okay? So the purpose becomes they're driven by this illusion that doing this is okay and that's what they do now yeah if they get a sense of belonging from the drug from mm-hmm. a group of drug users or if they get inspired by how they feel that they've never felt that way before right. that's a hard thing to shake and that's a hard thing to break yeah i mean and right now i mean we're in the generation of likes right you, you want to get as many likes as you can and before i mean you you basically had those personal friendships with your your circle right i mean whether it was that sublime crew or whatnot i mean we were all part of that circle at one point. And that was yeah. our, you know, that was our gang. That was, those were our peeps, you yeah. know. Now it's about group chats and Instagrams, Snapchats, yeah. likes, things what like that. What is Snapchat? What the hell is Snapchat? I've heard of it. Oh, what dear is... God, you don't want to know. Trust me. <laughs> you see how far? Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I, can, I can barely log on to Facebook. Right. See, there you go. And that's think, all you need. I think three people liked yeah. the show, and I think two people just unliked it. So and that's fine. That's probably my wife. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys, you know, it's, it's been a, an honor and a privilege to have you both on, uh, on tonight. And, you know, before we, excuse me, before we cut out, um, if someone out there is struggling, I don't care if, it's a, if this is a family member concerned about a loved one or someone who is looking for help because they're, they're, they're alone and they're isolated. Start with you, Tim. Do you have any suggestions for these people who, uh, who might need a little, a, a little life preserver or something? You know what? It's the biggest thing. It's just about communicating. You know, we all have problems. We all have issues. Some of us uh, are, are deeper in it than others. You know, communication is key. And, and again, going on that whole technology thing, you know, we don't have to talk to each other anymore face to face, eye to eye, right? Um, you know, as a pharmacist, I think I really try to uh, um, have more of an inclusive attitude to have people talk, even if they don't yeah. want to, because it helps me in my profession. Uh, and it will definitely help me help them be healthier. Um, but we need to have talk. We need to have that open conversation. So, and that needs to happen everywhere, in the home, on the street, at work, anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a lot of what we're missing right now. It's just mm-hmm. simple things. The simple things in life. Appreciating those small little things of being able to talk to somebody face to face. 
Yeah. I had a game when I was a kid, and Foreman's old enough. You're not old enough. You're only 23. But, <laughs> but see, the Foreman would remember this. We actually kicked a can down an alley and were thoroughly productive right. and effective. That's right. Today, <laughs> if kids did kick the can, they'd probably break their kneecaps open and be prescribed because of it. <laughs> probably. Right? I mean, I mean the simplicity of stuff that we used to do, which is far gone now, the, the, the impatience, the, 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 the levels of entitlement, and i got to get something this moment, the instant gratification is just, it runneth over. So, so yeah. Dr. Foreman, what, it, what is your take on, on kicking the can without a cell phone? Yeah, the brains are being trained in the wrong direction. And so we have to fight it. One way to fight it is to start something, start a group, start, a, start something where you actually go somewhere and meet people. Yeah. Uh, my good friend, and, and I don't know if you guys knew him in high school, Lance Simpson, uh, is a fantastic basketball player. I played Little League Baseball with him. He's a fantastic artist, started a shoe company called Dada back in the day. And he, uh, in Long Beach, has started over the past year or two a thing called Long Beach Kids. And he basically invites all his homies that he went to school with at uh, Jefferson um, and Wilson to meet and have a game. Like kick the can. So we played Just a flag football game. last Sunday. Oh, it's cool. once a month at a different park around Long Beach. And he puts it on Facebook and announces it wherever. And people show up, people that I haven't seen since I was 12 years old. And I can hardly recognize them. No way. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine from high school who is now a nurse at the Memorial. And we had a fantastic conversation about her whole arch of her life. It's almost like a second, a second uh, chance to get to know people on yeah. a real level. Because in high school, a lot of people, you know... It's just like, hey, through the hall. And that's all you see. <laughs> right. You know, you know right. them. But that, that's all you know. Right, right. And you have no idea about their life arc or, or even how they felt about you in high school for that matter. But um, that makes a difference. It feels spiritually calming. It feels full. I, I, I leave there with a smile on my heart. To connect. And that connection yeah. is what it's all about. And we don't do enough of it. And yeah. we don't put that on, on a, as a top priority. We need to. That is super cool. Yeah. It, and so if someone here locally, can someone here locally go hang out at that thing? All you have to do is show up. They have a taco card every time. Taco card, kick the can. Yeah, like Long Beach Kids, K-I-D-Z. Jeez, man. I got, a lot of time. I got time on my hands these days on the weekends. You know, I'm, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm able to do things these days, so I might join you. Oh, you absolutely should. Could I? I guarantee you you'd see, people that, that you'd, you'd see people that you knew, <laughs> you know, when you were 12. That sounds That's awesome. Good. You guys, thank you so much for, oh, for taking the time to be here. I, I love you both dearly. And, uh, and I hope that the, some people got something out of that uh, uh, tonight for those of you watching Facebook Live. And we'll be listening on Spotify and iTunes soon. You guys, thank you guys for tuning in. And, and we'll finish off with, if anyone out there is struggling, you guys need, need, need to find a good facility. I assure you that Balboa Horizons down in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, does great work. You can give them a call, 833-NOT-ALONE. Again, 833-NOT-ALONE. Tim Wu, Dr. Todd Foreman, thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Thank you, sir. Thanks for Appreciate having us. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Get over here. Get over here. <laughs>